0: welcome to looking ahead a podcast on the future of enterprise technology as seen through the eyes of the tech sector's most influential leaders hosted by head cto eric kaplan this episode features renan Halleck, ceo of vast data renan shares his journey of building a data storage system that finally meets today's enterprise needs including the trade-offs he had to juggle and the legacy mindsets he had to overcome
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Looking Ahead. I'm excited because today we have Vast as uh our guest, and actually should say Renan, uh CEO and founder. Welcome to the to the show today and glad to have you here. Um uh, let's just start out by maybe uh give us the two-minute on you, your background, uh, and what Vast does.
0: Sure. So uh My background, way back when, is in computer science. Um, Previous to VAST, I was VP of engineering at a storage company called Extreme IO, developed an all-flash block device, and was acquired very, very early on by EMC at the time. Um, And basically, after I left Extreme IO uh, back in 2015, uh, I started talking to as many customers as I could, as many potential customers as I could, and tried to understand from them what it was that they were missing, not specifically uh, in storage but in infrastructure in general and all of them came back to variations of the same thing. Uh, they kept telling me that uh, all flash arrays, uh, which were new at the time were great that they were a denser than the competition, a lot easier to use, easier to manage, no performance tuning, uh, more resilient because there weren't any moving parts. But what all of them were complaining about was the fact that all flash systems were so expensive that they could only put a very small subset of their applications of their data on them. And the result of that was that they still had many, many tiers of legacy hard drive based storage underneath, which were hard to manage, complicated to use, uh, expensive to move data around between all of these. Um, And so this was the major pain point that they described. And again, this is uh, back in the beginning of 2016, uh, four and a half years ago, the more forward-looking customers were already seeing the next wave of applications around analytics and AI and machine learning And what they were realizing is that it's becoming more and more difficult for them to choose where to place their data on which tier does it belong, because these new applications required fast access to the entirety of the data set. And so tiering didn't work anymore. And they needed a new type of infrastructure to support these new applications. And uh, that's where we started. That's the problem that we tried to solve in the
1: so you're at emc you leave you know and start talking to these customers obviously you know there's inhibitors that have caused us to live in this world of tiering storage and uh managing policies to to deal with different types and classes of information which is adds complexity adds management over time But there's also real hard technical enablers to cost and resiliency and scalability. Fast forward, you know, what are the the key drivers and elements that you, as you looked in the future, you saw uh, starting to become available that were being developed that you said, if these things come true, then I think I might be able to, you know knock down some of the barriers that you heard of
0: yeah so all of those problems that they were describing uh, weren't necessarily new it was uh, over time that these problems became more and more acute and when we tried when we when we went back home and uh, with my initial team of architects tried to understand how can we build a storage system that breaks these trade-offs that uh, is faster than the fastest that exists today, uh, cheaper than the cheapest, more scalable than the most scalable, more resilient than the most resilient, we realized that those trade-offs were there for a reason, that they couldn't be broken uh, with existing uh, hardware and software uh, underlying technologies. And so we did exactly what you just said. We went out to uh, various vendors like uh, Mellanox, like Intel, and we asked them, what is on your roadmap? Uh, what can you tell us about the future that may enable us to build a new architecture, a new software on top of your uh, hardware pieces, such that we will be able to uh, get to the point that the customers uh, expect from us. And what they showed us enabled uh, what we built. It was NVMe over Fabrics two years before it was ready. It was QLC Flash almost three years before it was ready. It was 3D Crosspoint also two years before uh, we were able to get our hands on it. And we assumed that all of these pieces alongside Docker containers and uh, all of these pieces would become available by the time that we developed the software. And we architected around them based on spec sheets, even though we weren't actually able to test with them
1: So you meet with the kind of a lot of the, I'd say, you know, industry titans around hardware, I'm sure, Mellanox, Intel, et cetera. You see the roadmap that they're developing too, and you actually don't have physical product in hand. So you have to make a ton of assumptions, I'm sure. Um, And at the same time, you're also challenged with all these legacy historical products uh, problems that you want to overcome you know being in storage I always say you know and getting to the point where you have an idea to actually a, a product that has is time-tested you know has the reliability is not a one or two year effort. You know, you guys are four years into this mm-hmm. uh, but what were some of the core problems that you looked at and said know you talked about cost and scalability and not tiering but you know i think some of the underlying architecture that vast eventually built um you you know also allowed you to solve many other problems that have been in the legacy storage world for a long time and still aren't uh resolved by other vendors in the marketplace so any thoughts on like passionate things you were passionate about of like I got to solve this problem, and I don't want to inherit it once again in, in the vast architecture.
0: Yeah, so uh, the team came from varied backgrounds in storage and beyond storage. But companies like Extreme IO, where I was, and Caminario, and uh, Isilon, and NetApp, and XIV. And we all came with scars of things we thought we didn't do well enough in previous products, and things we thought were really good and that we should keep. Um, and this new architecture enabled us to solve a lot of those problems in a very simple way, basically eliminate the problem rather than try and solve it. Uh, so examples are, uh, at IO. I can give this example because it's firsthand. It took us about six months to build the, the good path, what we call the happy path. And then it took about three and a half years to build uh, HA, uh, basically resiliency, into And we realized that whenever something bad happens, when a hardware piece fails, or anything that isn't supposed to happens, uh, that's when a lot of code needs to run. And that code is by its nature less tested and has more bugs and there are more corner cases because uh, by nature, these are failure scenarios. And so at Vast, from the first day, we decided not to have to do anything when a bad thing happens. And so everything is built in a way that everything is always in its right place. You don't have any journals that you need to play. You don't have any battery backup units. You don't have any of those things that need to happen when something bad happens. And it took us longer to get the happy path, the good path uh, working. But once we got it working, there was very little that we ne- that needed to be done in order to support the failure system. And that, again, goes back to the architecture and to the way that it's built. For example, 3D Crosspoint, Intel's new uh, NVRAM technology, allows us to land everything on persistent media without having any type of RAM caching. And so when you don't need any battery backups, but more than that, you can now have a lot of nodes that all have access to this very fast persistent media over NVMe, over fabrics, and so none of them actually need to talk to each other in order to serve requests. And so it's not just a resiliency thing, it lends itself to a scale thing. Because when you have 100 nodes and they're all chatting with each other, then that chatter limits your scale. But if they don't talk to each other, you can grow up to 10,000 nodes to 100,000 nodes, and it's still okay. And so you now have all of this extra redundancy and resiliency because all of these nodes are stateless. All of the state is down in the cross point layer. And so they can all fail at the same time without losing data. And that's one piece of it. But the other piece of it is half of them can fail at the same time and the other half doesn't even know about it. And so scale and uh, resiliency are no longer at odds with each other, they come together. Um, The conflict between price and performance, again, was very deeply rooted in shared nothing architecture where every node Came with a certain amount of performance and a certain amount of uh, capacity. And that capacity uh, cost more if you wanted it to perform better. Uh, once we disaggregated those two and allowed us to use the lowest cost flash available, uh, we're basically breaking that trade-off. Uh, and so breaking all of these trade-offs, what does it mean for the customer? It means that they don't need to think about it anymore, they don't need to choose between high scale or uh, high resilience. They don't need to choose between low cost and high performance. And so the first thing they gain out of it is they don't need to think about storage anymore. It just works. And then the second thing that they realize, usually a few months after they start using the system, is that they can start doing things that they couldn't do before. Uh, They can start analyzing, not just a small subset of their data, but the entirety of their data set and they can do it not in a batch process overnight, but in real time. And they can have 100 different teams, whether it's in the financial space where it's quant teams or in the life science space where it's researchers, they can have all of these teams work on the exact same data set without stepping on each other's toes because of the way we do workload isolation and because each of those teams can get their own nodes uh, that aren't interacting with the other team. Yeah,
1: when I look at some of the decisions you made, some of the things that stand out to me is really this disaggregated shared everything architecture, the statelessness around metadata and not having to rebuild and reconstitute that uh, in terms of failure uh, scenarios and just performance and scale as well. Um, And then the container-based architecture. Uh, Maybe talk for a second about where you see that container-based architecture going. Do you see, you know, to your earlier point, these new, new applications want access to the entire data set at times. Do you see a world where VAST and the application start to get closer and closer together?
0: Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a very interesting question. The way the world tends to work is we have these Swings, uh, pendulum swings. Uh, For a decade, we have the best cameras and the best phones and the best uh, whatever you would like to see in personal devices, each in its own thing. And then you have a conversion of everything into a single device, a smartphone, uh, but the camera isn't as good as that standalone camera. And uh, the various pieces aren't as good as what they were before. And then you have the pendulum swing in the other direction. I think the same thing is happening now. In the data center, we had the very specific pieces of storage, security, uh, networking, uh, compute, databases uh, two decades ago. And then uh, in this last decade, we saw a very massive shift towards hyper converged, putting everything in the same box. And we took it too far because those individual pieces aren't as good as they used to be, although it's a lot simpler to manage. What we think will happen over this next decade is we'll get the best of both of those worlds. And containers are, are what's gonna get us there because uh, you now can have everything in the same box, but you don't need all of those services to be built by the same vendor. And so you can have your uh, software defined networking in one container and software defined storage in another container and software defined database in a third container, and build this microservice architecture where you can choose best of breed for each one of the uh, services that you would like, and it's all in software and it's all containerized. The problem with storage has always been that storage is very stateful, and containers clash with that philosophy. You can't spin up a container or spin it down if the only place you can spin it up and down is on a very specific node that has access to the data. And so, NVMe over Fabrics and disaggregation solved that. We now can access all of the information from every single container so long as it's attached to an Ethernet or InfiniBand network. And so this aggregation coupled with this shared everything approach allowed us to take a page out of the uh, public cloud book, out of the hyperscalers book, where where they deal with uh, pets versus cattle. Uh, Storage is no longer pets. Each node doesn't need to be uh, cared for in the same way. we can now spin them up and spin them down because they're all stateless and none of them have uh, affinity to a specific uh, set of drives.
1: Have you started to see, I know VAS built a very rich API, have you started to see clients kind of take advantage of that API, embedded in kind of their workflow and their applications to a degree?
0: Yes, Yes. so we started with standard protocols. uh, We support today nfs we support s3 we support smb uh, and we wrote all of those protocols uh, ourselves we didn't take any uh, open source because we wanted them to have a native performance uh b we wanted them to have full advantage of this new architecture for example things like failover uh that were very problematic for smb before don't exist in our architecture because everyone can see the same shared state um And we also wanted all of these protocols to have access to the same information, whether that be uh, user data or metadata. Uh, But what that lends itself to is to expose those internal APIs. And we gain insight not only, there are a few things that can be done that aren't standard as part of those protocols. For example, user metadata can now be searched and indexed. And you can correlate between files and metadata and you can start doing smart things. If you're, again, giving the life science example, you can tag your files with the sequencer uh, that was used, with the organism that was sequenced, with the symptoms or uh, the different attributes that that organism has. And as you start gaining an understanding of the actual data, you can cross-correlate that with the metadata. And there's no better place to do that than within the storage system, because we have direct access to that metadata sitting on CrossPoint. Uh, it's the most efficient way uh, to do it, and so we're exposing those APIs for our customers to take advantage of them. Uh, another example is internal to the system, uh, we have a very sophisticated data reduction mechanism that, in fact, understands the data in a way. It, it finds similarity across the entire data set and leverages that similarity in order to reduce data down that was unreducible. And so that side effect of beginning to understand the data or find similar files across the namespace is another thing that can be exposed in a non-standard way and given to the application uh, with higher level semantics. So we're seeing select customers work with us on defining how they would like to see their next generation storage system. And uh, we're happy to build that for them because we think others will enjoy it as well. Uh, It sounds like
1: uh, you guys have, you know, taken, you know, the path of not wanting to try to introduce a lot of, you know, historical legacy, whether it's from the protocol perspective, the metadata perspective, the hardware perspective. So really built for the future. Uh, You obviously made some key bets on technology when you started the company, as we talked about earlier. You know, when you think about the next couple of years, what excites you in the industry in terms of other either enablers or technology that you see coming down the pipe um, that will not only be a benefit to the vast architecture but to customers uh, that are adopting the platform?
0: Yeah, so I think the data center of the future will be very different than the data center of the past. Uh, it will not be running uh, VMs and uh, uh, Oracle databases. It will be understanding of data. Uh, I think this whole wave that's called AI is uh, at a turning point. And we're going to start seeing more and more applications that aren't just uh, serving data to us human beings, but understanding the data, generating insight from it, and serving us that insight. And as we advance uh, in that direction, uh, I think it will become clearer and clearer that existing infrastructure was not built with these applications in mind, and is not suitable for these applications, and we'll see a bigger and bigger shift into uh, the data center as a computer, as a supercomputer. And uh, in fact, we're seeing a lot of supercomputing uh, ideas tried uh, in this new world. Some of them are a good match, some of them are a very bad match. but. Uh, thinking of the data center as this supercomputer that can understand data and generate insights for for us is, uh, I think, the key driver to what we see in the next few years. And specifically on the hardware space, uh, obviously we're seeing new form factors for SSDs, rulers, things that will will give us better density and that will make uh, serviceability better. But if I do look into that three, four year horizon, I think these new AI chips, whether they're GPUs or IPUs, uh, will be incorporated into the storage system very close to the data, such that these storage systems will not just be able to serve read and write requests, but actually understand the data and give you search-like abilities and insight generation abilities from within the storage system. And that, if I had to think of What are we working on that will be available three, four years down the road? That is the thing that excites me.
1: Yeah, it's uh, kind of your um, comments earlier. It's, you know, as we've all seen, and you use the analogy of kind of best of breed versus, you know, converged. What's old is new and what's new is old. Um, And these themes keep repeating themselves, you know, with obviously advancements Over time, but uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective. Um, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Uh, Great insight, very excited about the vast platform uh, and the use cases. I think it's very different and unique out there and solves, as we just talked about, a lot of great problems that uh, have plagued the industry for a long time. And not only the industry, but obviously our customers, uh, which Uh, are trying to, you know, take their businesses in a new direction with new use cases at the end of the day. So uh, great to hear more. You can obviously go to vastdata.com to uh, learn more, reach out to us at AHEAD, and we'd be happy to uh, help educate anyone that's more interested in the platform. So thanks again, Ryan. Have a great day. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Looking Ahead, featuring Eric Kaplan. Looking Ahead is produced by Ahead, experts in delivering enterprise cloud infrastructure, intelligent operations, and modern applications. We build platforms for digital business. Learn more at thinkahead.com.